1: ny or text hope ny in new york
2: welcome to andy staples on three happy halloween i do not feel like i'm taking crazy pills because the rankings actually kind of made sense i was i was expecting to to come in here and do the georgia michigan florida state they're all the same team does anybody notice this i feel like i'm taking crazy pills but i don't i this this makes sense. Ohio State, number one, they have wins against Notre Dame and Penn State. They're probably two of the better wins this season. Georgia, number two, we've seen the Bulldogs flip the dominant switch against Kentucky and against Florida. But Michigan, number three, and we were wondering where the where the committee was going to put Michigan because would, would there be any issue with the with case, would there be any issue with who they played? I think there was a, a balance struck between who they played and how they have played, because obviously they've been the most dominant team in America, but they haven't really played anybody good yet. That will come when they play Penn State on November 11th. Uh, that's probably the spot. Boo Corrigan, the NC State Athletic Director, who is the chair of the CFP Selection Committee, said... That they view the sign stealing accusations as an NCAA issue and not a CFP issue. And I believe that probably puts that to rest. I don't I don't think the CFP is going to do anything about that. So if you thought that they might, they're not going to. So my guess: Michigan plays out the rest of the season. This case gets handled through the NCAA process, which means it is not going to happen anytime soon. Uh, Joseph Schultz with an interesting question. How does Oklahoma fall behind Texas? So, Oklahoma is number nine, Texas is number seven. I, I saw that when it came out and was thinking, okay, I know what they're trying to do here. They're trying to keep Texas ahead of Alabama, but they don't feel like Oklahoma is all that good after losing to Kansas. It is a very tough line to draw with the head to heads. And, you know, it may solve itself if K State beats Texas this weekend, but that's a tough one because at right coming off that loss to Kansas it's tough to say is oklahoma better than than these guys with with texas having that win against alabama and i get it because i'm the i'm the person who says the games have to matter but the alabama texas game also has to matter so we're going to get a little more data here now let's let's bring up my resume rankings i feel like i got fairly close this week with the resume ranking I said, if Georgia beats Missouri, I'm popping them up probably to three or two. And if that happens, then I will, uh, because that would be their best one of the season. Georgia is actually playing its toughest three games of this season over the next three weeks. So that one I think is going to be pretty easy. I I had Washington at five. I had Oregon at six. I had Oklahoma at seven above Texas and Alabama. So I, I did the, I respect the head to head thing. The committee did not. and listen. I get it. It's a tough job. And you're going to ask, and Boo Corrigan is going to have to give you an answer that really is the opinion of 13 people. It's kind of tough. I, so I did the mock selection. It was actually the first year of the college football playoff, and they had me be the chair. And Jeff Long, who at the time was Arkansas's athletic director, who was going to be the chair, sat right next to me the whole time. And Jeff had not done the actual thing yet. They'd done some practice runs but the season hadn't started. So they hadn't done the actual thing. He hadn't had to stand in front of the camera and have Reese Davis ask him all the questions. And so they had me do a mock press conference just to see what it was like and kind of tell him what to avoid. And we were doing the data from the 2008 season because they they really wanted to challenge us. They wanted to, to give us the hardest year that we could possibly have. And I'm just throwing the other committee members under the bus. I'm like... Dude, I don't know why we don't have Texas in here. Texas is better than Oklahoma. They beat them. Well, they don't like that. (laughs) They don't like when you say that. It has to look like it's the whole committee's opinion. So right now, they got Oklahoma ahead of Texas, or behind Texas, which I think is going to tick off some Oklahoma people. But again, this giant weekend in the Big 12 may solve all that. Because remember you have three games involving three teams that have one loss in Big 12 play. You got Texas, Kansas State. You got Bedlam, which has its own other meaning because it's the last Bedlam for the foreseeable future. And then you've got Iowa State and Kansas. Bet you didn't think that was coming. If you're not really following the Big 12, the Iowa State, Kansas one comes as a surprise. But it is just as big. Yeah, well, everybody's mad. In what world would OU be ranked that high when they lost to unranked Kansas when they played? So, Eric, not mad. Eric understands why the committee did it. I still think games got to matter and it'll work itself out. But you do get, you will get these iron triangle situations where one team beat another, beat another, beat another. And then you got to figure out how to lump them together. You can't just go based on head to head. And that's the hard part for the committee. So, I do not envy who Corrigan his job because it's a tough one. But Florida State should be feeling pretty happy right now at number four. They gotta keep winning though. That that number four spot says to me, we're not sure if we wanna put you in there with one loss. Now, if everybody else loses, it's, it's fine. But if there's a couple undefeateds, that's where you start to worry if you're Florida State. So just keep winning. If Florida State's undefeated, not a problem, it's great. Their problem is the rest of the ACC is not helping them. Like North Carolina started off 6-0 and has lost consecutive games to Virginia and Georgia Tech. That does not speak well of the conference when like Virginia's best win prior to that was William and Mary. Virginia's only win prior to that was William and Mary. So that's the, that's the question right now. The other interesting thing, Tulane ahead of Air Force. Tulane at 24, Air Force at 25. So that is how... You decide who gets that New Year's Six Bowl spot, the highest ranked group of five champ. So Tulane, one spot ahead of undefeated Air Force. Tulane has one loss, but is to Ole Miss, which is ranked number 10 in this poll. So that part is gonna probably work itself out too. But they gave us a little hint that they think Tulane so far has been better. And so Tulane has the inside track on that spot. But you know, look again at Georgia sitting there at number two. Georgia could be number one by the end of three weeks, even if Ohio State keeps winning, because look at look at how they've got them ranked. Georgia's next opponent, Missouri, is number 12. The opponent after that, Ole Miss, is number 10, and the opponent after that, Tennessee, is number 17. So really tough stretch for the Bulldogs. We're going to find out what they're made of, and then we'll get this thing figured out. But I, the, those are the main takeaways. Uh, Alabama sitting there at eight. Striking distance. Listen, if they beat LSU this weekend, they are in position to win the SEC West. If they keep winning, they would have to beat Georgia to make the playoff. I don't think there's there's any scenario with a two loss Alabama making the playoff. Now, neither of the Pac 12 top schools made the top four, but I don't think that means you're not going to see one of the top four eventually. If Washington keeps winning, obviously they're in. If they're 13 0, they are in. If Oregon wins out, beats Washington or someone else in the Pac-12 title game, I think they're going to be in too because the Pac-12 has just been that tough. So we'll see what happens. I I, I projected this week that two of the Big Ten teams would make it because the Big 12 and the Pac-12 cannibalize each other. We'll see if that happens, but we've got a really exciting week ahead with the Pac-12 and the Big 12. And then the Pac-12 is just banger after banger week after week for the rest of the season. So I think this is this is what divisionless football gives us because you do get these races where there's two spots available in the championship game and and teams have equal chances at them. Whereas you, you look in the in the Big Ten right now, which still has some fairly lopsided divisions, and the West is up for grabs, but the team that's going to win the West, no one is going to expect to even have a chance against the team that wins the East. So Obviously, the divisionless scenario makes for more exciting November football and makes for a more exciting conference championship race, which is why everybody's going to it. But all in all, I I don't think I'm that surprised, offended by anything. The, The Oklahoma below Texas thing is the only kind of sticky wicket there for me but I do understand that they're trying to keep Texas ahead of Alabama and they feel like Alabama's pretty good. I mean, cause Alabama, you can't put Alabama below Ole Miss. You got to have them above Ole Miss cause they've beaten them and we'll see when they play LSU, what they really are because that, that one's the next big challenge for them. And if they get past that, I, I think they're probably playing Georgia for the sec title. So fun set of rankings for the first time around. And now I mean, The other piece of this is we got to think about what this is going to look like with the 12. So the way it would work is Missouri would be the odd team out in the 12 because they are ranked number 12. But remember the six highest ranked conference champs would get in. So Tulane would get that spot. So if we were just playing it out based on the way they've got them ranked, You'd have Tulane going to Washington in round one. You would have Penn State going to Oregon. You'd have Ole Miss going to Austin to play Texas. And then you'd have Oklahoma going to Tuscaloosa to play Alabama. I think I think we'd all enjoy those games. I think those games would be a lot of fun. And then like that, Oklahoma Alabama winners playing Ohio State. You think there's not a chance for an upset in that second round? <laughs> Golly. So that is why they are going to this system. That is why this plan is in place. So that's going to be fun. This time next year, we're not going to be looking at who's in the top four. We'll to be looking at who's in the top 12 and then who that highest ranked group of five team is. I'm curious to see what they do with the playoff because remember, they might go to five automatic bids and seven at-larges. Lampeter says, what six champs? It should only be four champs. Well, it's six champs. Four champs get buys. So in this scenario, oh, shoot, I messed this up. See, there's where I messed up. In this scenario, Michigan would be your fifth seed and Washington would be your fourth seed. So I apologize. Tulane would be going to Michigan. Washington would get a buy because Washington would be the Pac-12 champ. Of course, when there's an actual... 12 team college football playoff there will not be a Pac 12 there will be a Pac 2 so we'll just have to see how they handle that but my guess is they they knock off one automatic bid add one at large and that will be how they handle it but we got a big big show for you tonight lots to talk about we got the halloween costume that I did not I, I went I went got to sorry zoolander's a classic I would have gone with guy on Central Michigan sidelines who may or may not be Connor Stallions. I think that's a pretty cool costume too. We got to talk about that. But first, I want to tell you about game time. Game time is the best place to get your last minute tickets. If you would like to go see LSU play at Alabama, if you would like to see Kansas State play at Texas, if you would like to see Washington playing at USC this week, go to game time, download the app, search the event, click on it, find the ticket you want. It's the lowest price you can find. And then you will see your view from the stadium right there in your phone. Exactly what it'll look like when you're sitting there with that ticket. Two more taps and that ticket is yours. If you redeem the code staples, you get $20 off your first purchase. So GameTime app, code staples, 20 bucks off that first purchase. It's the easiest thing in the world for last minute. Sporting event tickets, concert tickets, comedy show tickets, you name it. They are the best. Go to game time. Use that code staples for 20 bucks off your first purchase. And now it is time to talk about that guy on the Central Michigan sideline. Why is every TJ Maxx in Michigan selling out of Central Michigan hats all of a sudden? Because the most popular Halloween costume in that state has got to be this guy. This guy who appeared on the Central Michigan sideline in their season opener at Michigan State on a Friday night. This guy. Is it Connor Stallions? That is what Central Michigan officials are trying to find out. They're trying to discern if Connor Stallions, yes, Connor Stallions of now suspended Michigan staffer who may have been running a giant sign stealing operation fame. Was he on their sideline? This man is in a hat and sunglasses. This is a night game, by the way, tries to get away from the camera every chance that the camera has to get a good look at it. Every time the ball comes that way, this person is trying to escape the camera so much so that he almost gets himself brained by a kicking net. If you have a copy of the Central Michigan, Michigan State game, I don't recommend watching it for the football. It was a pretty terrible football game, but it is a great game of where's Waldo. And it is yet another twist in this story. Central Michigan's athletic director said in a statement that they are trying to investigate, is this Connor Stallions? If it is, How did he get onto their sideline? Uh, They said he did not appear on any sort of pass list. And those things are usually fairly tightly controlled. But the story that just keeps giving and giving and giving and giving, well, this is yet another twist. And if you can find yourself a gray Central Michigan pullover and a burgundy Central Michigan hat and a pair of sunglasses, then you have yourself the Halloween costume of the year. Is this Connor Stallions? We don't know yet, but wow, wow, just wow. By the way, more to this story, Chris Ballas of the Wolverine reporting that Jim Harbaugh's contract extension not being rescinded as the Wall Street Journal reported, but instead is actually moving ahead. We'll see if that actually happens. We'll see where that goes from here, but that would be quite a statement from the University of Michigan if that's what they indeed end up doing. But this story, just the legs on it go on forever. At this point, almost anything feels believable, almost anything, but right now, we got to go find a Connor Stallions Halloween costume. I realized that a lot of you probably had Michigan gear and had something, you know, something to the effect of somebody stole my sign. No, no, no. The new hotness Central Michigan gear with the sunglasses at a night game.
3: How can you not love this story? It is only appropriate on Maction
2: Night. Happy Maction Night, everybody. Happy birthday, Nick Saban, also. He played at Kent State, you know. That we should be all trying to find Central Michigan gear. Of course, Jeff in the chat says, Tyler from Spartanburg is a better costume. Don't worry. We will be talking about Tyler from Spartanburg later in the show. Tyler from Spartanburg, uh, the caller who enraged Dabo Sweeney so during Tiger calls on Monday night, we break down minute by minute that entire phone call. Trust me, you'll want to stay around for that one. But up next, we're talking Sooners. They just lost to Kansas. Now they got to play Bedlam. But first, I got to tell you about prize picks because you may be one of me making some prize picks plays on this game. What's Ollie Gordon going to do? What is Dylan Gabriel going to do? Prize picks is the largest independently owned daily fantasy sports platform in North America. And it's the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. You pick as low, as few as two players, as many as six, you can get up to 25 times your money. This weekend I turned 50 into 150 using a bunch of quarterback combos. I was doing quarterback duos and how many touchdowns would they produce passing, rushing and receiving. And man, they were, they were churning them out. How do you do it? You download the Price Picks app, use the referral code Andy, and they will match your first deposit up to $100. So you want to play Maction. You want to play the games during the week. You got NBA. You got NFL. Of course, tons of college football on Friday and Saturday. Go to Prize Picks, download the app, referral code Andy, and they will match that first deposit up to a hundred bucks. On Friday, I'll be releasing some of my plays or We'll we'll kind of debate them on on Twitter a little bit, and I'm gonna listen to you this time because you guys do tend to give pretty good advice. So go to Prize use that code Andy, and they will match that first deposit up to a hundred bucks. But now it is time to talk about the Sooners because Bedlam is coming. Eddie Radosovich and George Stoy the Third of Sooner Scoop joining us. We are joined. From a chilly Norman, Oklahoma, by Eddie Radosovich and George Stoya from Sooner Scoop, gentlemen, how are we handling the elements?
4: Good, I think better than Saturday up in Lawrence, but uh, it's uh, it's time to move on, I think, for a lot of people around Norman. So uh, it's going well. It's going well. I, I think that people forget that Oklahoma was six and seven a year ago, as opposed to uh, seven and one now. I although it's rather disappointing the way that everything went down.
5: I yeah I would I would agree with that any my hands though are still cold. <laughs> my hands have been cold for like four days straight So I'm ready for some more in a press box on
4: Saturday
2: <laughs> I know but
5: I I you know whatever I still com- I complained I'm, I'm not built I'm not built like that
2: so you, you mentioned that, that people need to remember last year could the, would these be the people that are ready to fire coordinators after after a single loss
4: yes I I would say so uh you know I I think that because of the Texas win and the way that Oklahoma performed uh you know I think that a lot of people including probably George and myself thought things were accelerated a little bit and uh you know the last couple weeks after uh, the Texas game and coming out of the bye it's been a step back but I think that uh, you know, there's still a lot to play for. I know that's kind of the cliche line that, uh, you know, the players and the coaches will tell you uh, going into this week and what is going to be a kind of a monumental bedlam around here uh, with it being the the finale. Is is that, I don't want to speak for you, George.
5: Yeah, no, I, I agree. And Andy, you and I talked about it a couple of weeks ago after OU beat Texas, the expectations changed, right? Everything felt accelerated within the program. I think people kind of had a reality check when Oklahoma lost to Kansas, but I also look at the Kansas game and even the UCF game, because they could have lost that game as well as everything's fixable. Like everything, like we, me and Eddie rewatched the game. They just played terrible. Like it was just like, the game plan wasn't good. Uh, they're turning the ball over in spots. They typically don't, the defense is missing tackles, which has not really been an issue all season. And so I think while Saturday was a tough and frustrating loss for Oklahoma fans, i do think there's a good chance they turn things around this week now we'll see it's a big game osu's playing with a lot of momentum they're playing really good football it's bedlam you never know what's going to happen in that game right uh but i do think that that while it felt like the earth was falling on saturday i do think that uh things are are not as bad as they probably really seem
2: yeah i mean they're in control of of everything they can be in control of right now but they are going to still water for a game that it's a huge rivalry and the cherry on top of it is they're really pissed that Oklahoma is leaving for the SEC. They've said they don't want to play this anymore. And of course, they would like to send Oklahoma out with an L. How much does the emotion of it matter? I, I know Brent Venables kind of poo-pooed it. Mike Gundy did not poo-poo it. He talked about spitting on Bosworth and Bosworth spitting on him. Uh, how, how intense is it going to be out there?
5: I, I think, Eddie, uh the thing that i realized at least the last couple of days because we talked to some players last night it was the same tone as brent i mean they, they're getting questions like what does it mean this being the last bedlam and they're like for us it's just another game we're just preparing for another game is it a big game sure but we're we're trying to go one to know this week we're not worried about the rivalry it felt like that was brent's tone as well today whereas in stillwater i think it is a little bit different because that like you said this is a big one being the last one and, and obviously you look at the the all-time record and Oklahoma's really controlled the rivalry. Uh, but if Oklahoma State can go out with a win in the last one in what seems like maybe a really long time, uh, then that would be huge for them. Whereas I think Oklahoma's approaching it in a way that's hey, we just need to, we just need to get back on track and win a football game to achieve the goals that we set before the season.
4: The most amazing thing is I think that Oklahoma's won 17 of the last 20. And to say that they're 17 and three over the last 20 years, it certainly doesn't feel like it. And, you know, it's it's interesting to hear Mike Gundy talk about his stance on Bedlam. You Everybody knows his record against Oklahoma as a head coach hasn't been very good. And it's almost like, does he build it up too much in his yeah. mind as opposed to what Brent does? Uh, and, you know, this is his second time around uh, coaching as a head coach in the game and saying that it's just another game. Uh, you know, it worked for him against Texas. They came out and the physicality that offensive line, defensive line played with, you have to find a way to replicate that. They just haven't been able to find that. Uh, same rhythm or whatever that uh, emotion is here over the last couple of weeks. And I don't know if it's it's certainly not looking ahead to this game because everything that gone it went into uh, trying to get to eight. zero. And, you know, I think the the disappointment from last week, I expect them to bounce back this week and play a really solid game. I don't know if that necessarily means that they win the football game as well as Ollie Gordon's running the football. It's going to be interesting to see kind of that chess match between uh, Brent Venables and, and uh, Mike Gundy come Saturday.
2: I'm glad you mentioned yeah. Ollie Gordon, Eddie, because the, the Oklahoma's banged up linebackers. Yeah. They just gave up five and a half yards of carry to a Kansas team that that carried it 41 times. Ollie Gordon is just the last three games. He's on like a Heisman pace. So uh, how are they going to handle that
4: rushing attack as banged up as they are? I think it starts up front. I, I, to put it the most simple way that I think I know how they got their ass whooped by Kansas, especially on the interior. And for a group that has played really, really well. It's kind of funny on our podcast on the Unofficial 40 we talked about last week how well the interior had been playing and how good of a job Todd Bates had uh, done, not just on the recruiting side of things, but as well as with the group that he had. And a lot of those guys are transfers. Uh, A lot of those guys are uh, kind of – they've had a good mix of guys that have come back from last year's team, Isaiah Coe and Jordan Kelly, and they have to play well, I think. And, you know, you go into this game and you look at – Uh, OU's defensive line versus Oklahoma State's offensive line, and Oklahoma State's still trying to find, I think, a a certain rhythm within that offensive line group, but they've made it work over the last couple weeks for Ollie Ollie Gordon, and he's broken a lot of tackles uh, in route to what he's done over the last four weeks.
5: And I think, too, Andy, the the one thing for Oklahoma, if they're out, Danny Stutzman, which it sounds like he's going to try and give it a go we'll see even if he does if he's limited. Brent was a lot more positive about it he today was. than i thought he would be and we don't know if he practiced on monday or not we'll see maybe tonight if he practices but uh if they're down danny stutzman while obviously he's one of the best linebackers in the country they do feel really good about their linebacker depth you saw kip lewis a young guy come in he's been phenomenal in a backup role we'll see if it's jaron Kanick or kobe mckenzie but they do have some depth there, but those guys are going to, those are, those are three really young guys. When you talk about Kobe McKenzie, Jaron Cannick, and Kip Lewis having to step up against arguably the best running back in college football. So it's a tough test, man. And that, that front seven is going to have to play really well because I do think they're going to sell out to stop Ollie Gordon and say, okay, Alan Bowman, can you beat us?
2: So is, is this where that six and seven version of Oklahoma last year would have been sunk with, with a couple of injuries in key spots, and then just not being able to backfill?
5: Yeah. I think, I think it's not only that, Andy, but also the leadership of this group. I, I think that last year you saw them lose some games and it and they crumbled and, and they would go on these losing streaks either in the middle of the season or at the end of the season. I think this group, at least talking to them last night, they're pretty refocused. Um, and, and again, we'll see what happens this Saturday, but I do think they're going to be able to regroup. And, and like you said, I think the competitive depth or that term all all, you know, summer and off season, but uh I do think that they feel good about some of the young guys that can come in and, and help them but also some of the older guys that are going to be the leaders trying to to bounce back
2: so I reading your your message board it, it, I, I was kind of joking about everyone to hire the coordinators but it does seem like there is some angst toward Jeff Levy which it, it's funny to me because the 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 anger seems to be directed toward the one series after the interception at the end of the game where they didn't just sort of stick a knife in Kansas and I'm like, you did give up 80 yards in a minute to to lose the game. Like it wasn't just the offense, but is is the attitude that perhaps they need to be more aggressive offensively rather than than keeping it conservative to to protect a lead? Because it it seems like this offense is the best when it's attacking.
4: Yeah, it it was it was a kind of an out of body experience watching what they put forth on Saturday. I mean the two. They, they threw two plays over 10 yards or allowed Dylan Gabriel to throw two plays over 10 yards in the first 75 plays of the game. It was wet. It was windy. It was a miserable day in Lawrence, Kansas. Jason Bean threw the ball 32 times. And I think that that's where the root of the uh, kind of the anger comes. If you want to call it conservative, it was like the QAnon of conservative <laughs> uh, offensive play calling on Saturday. It was... It, it was interesting also to hear Brent Venables talk about it on Tuesday. Uh, He was asked if they wanted to take more shots down the field and he flat out said, "Yeah." I mean, he didn't come out and say yes, but the way that he answered it was basically they've had a talking with Jeff Levitt. They need to become more aggressive. They need to uh, let Dylan Gabriel do what he's done all season when they've had success. Dylan Gabriel has played in an open offense. And I think that's why Saturday was so just kind of out of this world shocking to see that was the game plan that they went with
5: and i think too andy the obviously that one drive is what everybody points to and and sure they probably should have let dylan gabriel maybe throw the ball there to try and get a first down he's been really good in those spots but i go back to even coming out of halftime they're up 21 17 you're moving the ball you're running it you're doing all sorts of things and they come out in the first three possessions it's punt fumble punt uh and all of a sudden kansas is back in the game and you've seen that throughout the season whether it's SMU, they sputtered in the second half until they absolutely needed a drive. Even the Texas game, they're up two scores in the third quarter. They get a fumble at midfield, and they go three and out and punt, and Texas gets back into the football game. You've just seen it time and again this year where they get a lead. They kind of start getting a little too cute on offense uh, to be cliche, or you know, they, they get very conservative. They don't throw the ball down the field, uh, and I think that that's where the anger comes from. It's not just that one drive. It's, hey, they need to be more aggressive, put teams away. Uh, and really attack some honestly not great defenses the last couple weeks and that's where it's like what is the identity
4: of the yeah. offense and I think that's a little bit scary for Oklahoma fans going into the ninth week of the season and still trying to figure a whole lot of stuff out whether it be offensive line you have a guy in Javante Barnes that's getting massive carries at the end of the football game he hadn't played for six weeks because of uh, a, a, a foot injury at, uh, that he had surgery on so uh, or that's what a lot of people thought. And then all of a sudden he's magically healthy to play because Wee Walker's banged up. Uh, that's those are kind of the question marks right now. And they're still trying to dig themselves out of the Andre L. Anthony injury that he suffered in the Texas game to find that guy to go to at wide receiver. It,
2: it does seem, though, that being more aggressive might behoove them at this point because there is no margin for error now that they have no excuse to be conservative because they can't afford to lose another game if they'd like to to play for the national championship play in the, the college football playoffs. So I, I will be curious to see, like, do they come out just slinging it? Because that seems to be the best way to win the, the games remaining on the schedule.
4: No doubt. And that that's something that we were talking about it before we jumped on with you, uh, Dylan Gabriel, a year ago, completely different team, obviously, but he was 14 at 18, 224 yards and a 294 uh, yard first quarter for Oklahoma against Oklahoma state. So, Uh, I would expect them to be uh, very uh, aggressive, maybe even probably too aggressive to a certain extent if you look up and you turn the ball over because you're taking so many chances in the first quarter. And maybe that's where it could backfire on you on Saturday because the crowd's going to be, uh you know the atmosphere is going to be unbelievable I expect it to be it's it's already a really good atmosphere at Boom Pickett Stadium it's right on top of you it's kind of a unique setting in uh, in terms of the way that the field's set up with the players and the sidelines and uh I'm, I'm super interested to see how they attack Oklahoma State because I do think there is opportunity there right George
5: yeah no and and I think they're still gonna try and run the football I think that it was Brent that said today that it was a concerted effort the last two weeks to try and run the football the problem is they haven't been very good at it. Uh now they did run it, you know, pretty effectively against Kansas. Now, I don't think Kansas has the best rushing defense, neither does oklahoma State. So I still think they're going to try and run the football, but that running back room is just in a weird spot, whether it's Gavin Sawchuk never seems to get going. Javante Barnes is who knows what's going on with him with his foot. And then Tawi Walker, you know, he got banged up at the end of that game. I mean, if he doesn't get roll up his ankle there in the fourth quarter, they probably win win the game. Uh, and so we'll see. How healthy he is uh but uh, i i think that that's where it comes down to is can they run the football because that's just been an issue all all year for them
2: well you knew oklahoma wasn't going to be able to get out of the big 12 without some excitement you got bedlam you got texas k-state you got iowa state kansas all one loss teams in big 12 play and there'll be three at the top tied at the end of saturday so we'll, we'll see if the sooners are one of those thank you guys so much you bet, Andy. Appreciate it. Thanks, Andy. That's Andy and George from Sooner Scoop. Big, big game in Stillwater. Maybe the last one for a while. You heard Mike Gundy saying, "Well, I, I Boz used to spit on me, and I used to spit on Boz." And then a very interesting anecdote about a party in Oklahoma City. But I digress. It's going to be fun. You know what else going to be fun? Georgia, Missouri. LSU Alabama, huge games involving quarterbacks who try and win the Heisman Trophy, also trying to raise their draft stock. We talked to Jim Nagy, the executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl, about Carson Beck, Jaden Daniels, and a lot of other things. Here's Jim. <laughs> now, by Jim Nagy, the executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl, and Jim just got off the phone with an NFL team. He's been on the phone with a lot of NFL teams and Jim, how does that process work this time of year when you're kind of checking your notes against the notes of, of the NFL scouts?
6: Yeah, I'm tired of hearing myself talk Andy. Um, So it's great being on with you. Uh, (laughs) No, it's, you know, it's really important. We do our own work. Um, I've said it time and time again. That's the, the, it's why we had to build a real football operation here because if we got to this point in the year and it was me just calling teams fishing for names like i don't think that's the way we wanted to do it so now we get on these calls our our scouting staff has done an awesome job like setting the table we got the board set we had our meetings last week three days of zooms um so we feel good about where the board is now we jump on the calls with the teams we kind of go position by position um, like for example if we've got you know, eight running back spots. And we feel really good about six of them. I'll run down those six and in 99% of the time we're in alignment with the teams. And then it's okay for these last two spots. Here's the guys we kind of see in the mix, you know, and then do you see it the same? Is there anyone from outside of that group? Who do you guys like? And then we just kind of, you know, kind of the grade sharing back and forth and uh, they're at their long calls. Um, they take a couple hours with every team, but uh but some really good back and forth. And the good thing is they get some information now from us that they can use because I can tell them I would never share specific team information, but I will say, well, guys you sound a lot lower than where the league's at on this guy. And then oh, they okay.
2: so they know where so they're, then they where know. They're to everybody else. Yeah.
6: Right. Like if they say that they see this running back as a free agent and I'll say, well, you know, the, the, the rest of the league, everyone's in that fifth roundish area, then they'll say, okay, well, we, we need to go back and do some more work then. Um so it it really is kind of a give and take and it's worked really well over the last 5 years for us. Well and, and you tweeted
2: recently about a player that I saw in person over the weekend and Carson Beck the Georgia quarterback who I people forget he's a fourth year player. He he's a a senior academically and he's one that you've been pretty high on all year and it sounds like the NFL folks are are getting that
6: way as well. Yeah, the Georgian fan base isn't happy. They think he's a junior. He's uh, He's been there for, he's been there four years. Um, but he does have an extra year. So, I mean, all these guys do. They all have this yep. extra COVID year, so it really complicates things. But, um, you know, it's just like if a college was going after a high school kid, if his manuscript says senior, um, you got to offer him a scholarship, right? So, yep. uh, yeah, no, Carson's really, I would say, probably from the Auburn game on. I was at the Auburn game. Um, he had a really big second half. And since then he's just built on that. So he, uh, you know, he throws a really tight ball. He throws a catchable ball. Uh, He can layer it down the field. Uh, There's, there's just, there's a lot to like for a guy that hasn't played a lot of football. You look at where he went from two years ago, we watched him in mop-up duty. It was okay. You know, then you watch last year's stuff again, mostly mop-up duty and it was better. Um, But now he gets the chance to be the guy and uh, he's just kind of growing week after week. So yeah, certainly when we're on these calls with teams, if we're talking about the top six to eight uh, senior quarterbacks, um, everyone thinks he belongs in that group, you know, where that sits round wise, probably third, fourth, um, if he came out right now. So we'll see if Georgia wants to get him back. That's a call I need to make to coach smart and see where they're at uh, with Carson. If they're going to try to get him back with some NIL money in the offseason. But yeah, um, you know, long-windedly, Andy. He's he's really putting it together. He's having he's having a nice year.
2: But that's that's what you have to do now too. And and when you're deciding who to invite, and you you have to call these coaches and say, "Hey, is this guy coming back?"
6: Yeah, it's it's a huge layer to it now. Uh, like I I saw Mike Norvell on the field a couple of weeks ago, and and we had that conversation. I said, "Mike, listen, we're going to send you. We we send the invites right to the head coaches. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's how the Senior Bowl has done it, going way back in time." Um, I think it's a good protocol to have um, just as a courtesy to the head coach so they can disseminate those invites whenever they want. I said, Mike, when we send them and if there's guys in that in that box that that you want to get back, like shoot me a call, shoot me a text, because then even if the kid accepts it, we'll kind of treat that as a soft acceptance, because Mm -hmm. I mean, where we're at in college football right now with this money, for the most part, probably 95 percent of the time, if they want a player back, they're going to pony up enough money to get the player back. Um, so, we, what we can't have is is we're losing a bunch of guys in late December, early January. Um, you know, and and all the dance the, the the dance seats are full. You know, if we're if we're playing we're playing that game. So yeah, we're we're trying to figure that out. That's certainly a a dynamic that was never in play the last you know the for my first four years in this role and now the last couple of years um it is certainly a thing
2: so you're talking about the the fourth and fifth year quarterbacks and kind of where they rank and we're all going to be watching jane daniels against alabama this weekend where does he rank in that group right now
6: he's one or two um he's, for us he's right up there with bo nicks um bo, those kind of those guys came into the year as one two Um, uh, i felt like we did a lot of work on bo last year both those guys were senior bowl eligible last year mm-hmm. we did a bunch of work on bo. We moved him and Henan Hooker from the fourth round up into the up into day two. Um, you know, Jaden Daniels this year started off in the third round for us, um, and I think both those guys are like in that second round conversation. Jaden's played great. I think uh, I hope he gets an opportunity to go to New York, and he's in that Heisman talk. Even though they've lost, you know, even they've they've lost games. Uh, if you look statistically, um, and that is a numbers-based award. Um, He's certainly played as well as anybody in the country. So that's a it's a huge stage game. If he can go into Tuscaloosa on Saturday, uh, I'm making the trip up there. He can make a statement. He can basically cement himself a spot in New York if if he plays a good game and they go in there and pull off the upset.
2: Yeah, it feels like that game is is one of those make or break Heisman situations. I remember when Leonard Fournette went up there and he was the front runner and we basically all but giving it to him. He has a bad game and, and falls out. And then that's kind of where Derrick Henry started to to mount his Heisman campaign too. So you're right. It, it, for, for a scout, how much of a buffet is an LSU-Alabama game?
6: That's the game every year. That's the game that every scout circles. That's the game. I I don't know what the list is going to look like for the press box. I mean, I've been the, the Joe Burrow year. I remember going to that game and there was like spillover in the press box. They sat. All the NFL guys outside in this auxiliary area. We were we weren't even in the press box, um, so yeah, certainly. I mean, both sides of the ball. Um, the hard part of scouting that game live is like training your eyes on which matchup, you know, because you've got edge rusher against tackle. You've got you know linebackers going against interior offensive linemen, wide receivers, DBs, uh, what have you. It is. It's it's uh, a scout's dream, uh, a dream game. Um, and really more so, I love going up and, and watching those guys during pregame on a big stage game. That's really the closest thing you'll get to like a play NFL playoff atmosphere. And that's what all these guys are drafting players for. I mean, you're drafting players for to play in January. Um, so you want to see how they step up in a big stage like that. So, again, I don't know how many GMs and all that will be up there Saturday, but there's going to be a bunch.
2: So you mentioned Bo Nix earlier, and he had one of his better – performances against utah the, the better team performance for oregon probably the best game they've played all year yeah. but what has beau done this season to to kind of improve upon what you saw from last year
6: well he's he's putting together another back-to-back use given another year um you know i think everyone last year he he went out to oregon he shed a lot of bad habits that he that he you know kind of developed while he was at auburn and uh but now it's year two. Now you're seeing some consistency in his play. It wasn't just kind of a one-year spike. Um, he, and it's not like he's leveled off. I mean, he continues to get better and better and that's a big time win. I mean, that's a, you've, you've probably been out to Rice Eccles stadium. That's that's a tough place to play out on the West coast. It's loud. That's a good Utah football team. I mean, they're well coached. You've got to go out there and and win that game. They're not going to hand it to you. Um, and they went, they went in there and took it. That's an impressive game. I, I have not had a chance to go and see the tape of that game. Bo is, our, Bo is actually our Senior Bowl Player of the Week uh, for that performance. I have not seen the tape yet. But, uh, no, he's, he's just, uh, you know, he's moved that team. They, they could have won that Washington game. They could be yeah. undefeated. Um, you know, he let them down the field for that go-ahead score. So he's done everything he can do. He's won from inside the pocket. He's made plays outside the pocket, which he's always done. But I think it's the work inside the pocket. And I heard Dan Lanning make a comment that like Bo doesn't get enough credit for getting us in and out of plays and like not worrying about his stats. Like if he's got to check to a run, um, you know, and sacrifice his stats, like he's he's going to do that. So just his command of that offense and just and really just another year of showing these NFL scouts, like, listen, last year wasn't a fluke. Um, here's the strides I've made. So yeah, there's, there's, there's a ton of like on Bo's tape this year.
2: How do you handle that with quarterbacks where, you know, in the NFL, you're going to have to have a very good command of the offense, but in college, it really depends on the system and the coach. You might not have much control as the QB. How do you parse out one who has control and the ability to do it and who can do it well? And then how do you guess at who might be good at it if they get in a system where they do have some control?
6: Well, I think it goes back to relationships, which is what scouting is all about. It's going into these schools year in and year out, knowing these coaches. um, And sometimes you just got to ask those questions, you know, like what's the responsibilities here? What do you put on the quarterback? Um, And again, I think it behooves some quarterbacks to stay at a place long enough where they gain the trust. I don't think any coaching staff nowadays is just going to give a kid the reins his first year as a starter but when you're like Bo Nix and you're in, in your 50th career game as a starter, I would guess there's a lot more on Bo's plate than there was last year, a lot more autonomy, even though they did change offensive coordinators this year. Um, I bet they're giving him a lot of flexibility. But, yeah, that's, that's what's hard, Andy. That's what helps quarterbacks here at the Senior Bowl is that they come in and they have to actually get in a huddle. They have to spit out verbiage. Um, they have to command a group, which, which is different, which is a lot different. The, the communication piece and the leadership piece is a lot harder to get a handle on now than it was 15 20 years ago. Um, but again, it's not just asking the questions, it's having the relationships to get the right answer, right? So you're not you're not going into the school and just getting the company line on a player, you're getting the real deal on what's happening there in the building and that that takes years and years of relationships. Just similar to what you do, man, just like a being yeah. a journal just being a journalist. Um it's all about it's all about those relationships. So you know better than anyone.
2: So one other guy that I saw this weekend that I'd love to ask you about, because I know you've been very high on him for a long time, is Ladd McConkie, because we went into to the Georgia and Florida game wondering how will they handle not having Brock Bowers. McConkey seemed to have slipped into the the security blanket role for Carson Beck very well.
6: Yeah, no, everyone you always wonder, okay, what are they gonna do without Brock? Okay, here's what we'll do: we'll we'll put Lad McConkey in the slot and work the middle of the field with him and let him, you know, just break people off and get open and make plays. And and yeah, Lad's an easy guy to like because he's quick, he's fast, he can run routes, he's got savvy. Um, really, when we watched him over the summer, we put him on and we do a scout school here at the Senior Bowl in the summer and it's just for former NFL players. So we had a room full of guys that played at the next level and we put in Lad's tape and man, he won that room over pretty quickly. And a bunch of guys that played DB and a bunch of guys that played wide receiver um, we're we're Lad McConkey fans, and they were actually commenting on Twitter this weekend uh, <laughs> when I put that post out about Lad. But I, I think the only thing missing last year was he, he missed on some deep balls that he probably should have reeled in. Um, that way, I mean, when you're 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 getting nitpicky there, like that was really the only thing. Like there was some deep ball stuff that that he could have made a couple more plays for Stetson Bennett that he didn't make. But but overall, like savvy route runner, toughness, hands, run after catch. Um, quick, fast. He, he checks all those boxes. He's To me, he's safely a day two player. Uh, I don't see him getting out of the third round, more more likely a, a second round guy. And who knows if he comes down here to Mobile and has, has a really good week, he gets into the late first because he is an NFL starter. Um, yeah. and, he's, and he's so savvy. We've, we've talked about Puka Nakua um, and how he's transitioned so quickly to the league. It's because of the crafty element. And, and Ladd has that as well. So a, a year from now on Sundays, Lad's going to be making a lot of plays.
2: Let me ask you about one matchup that I'm very excited about this weekend. That I, I feel like it's a very key matchup in that game. And I imagine your scouts will be watching it pretty close as well. But Cooper Beebe from Kansas State against some of those monsters on <laughs> the Texas defensive line. How excited are you to see that one?
6: Yeah, beef on beef with uh, Tavandre Sweat and Cooper yeah. Beebe. I don't know what the current weights are for those two players, but I know. Tavondre a,
2: told us 362 when we had him on the show a few weeks ago.
6: Okay, so as long as he said that, I'm not. Yeah, I, yeah. I've heard. I've heard 360. Cooper, baby, I'm not sure, but I'm. I'm guessing based off body type, we're 350ish. Um, so we're we could be over 700 pounds a man in that in that one matchup. Uh, <laughs> no, it's it's in it's a good battle. It's power on power. Uh, what Tavondre does, he comes off the ball. He's explosive and he really makes you anchor. He tests your anchor he doesn't have to go around you he can go right through you um and so we'll see if Cooper can handle him Cooper doesn't have many problems with many guys that you know trying to power down the middle of him uh but tavandre is going to cause uh he's going to test that but that's that's going to be a fun one for sure I
2: cannot wait this is such a good weekend I hope Jim you're going to be near if you even if you're going to a game I hope you're gonna be near television so you can see some of this other stuff too but what a weekend so much to watch thank you so much
6: yeah, Andy, I, I will be in Tuscaloosa, man. So I don't know if you're oh, I don't know if you're you planning on making that trip, but I, I do not miss that game every year. I will be up there. Uh, it should be a fun weekend. Thank you, Jim. Thanks, Andy.
2: That's Jim Nagy from the Senior Bowl. Lots to watch for those guys, lots to watch for us. But we got to watch we got a lot to watch now. I mean, we have simultaneous action games going on in which it is snowing at both venues, Buffalo, Toledo. It is snowing in Toledo, Northern Illinois, and Central Michigan. It is dumping snow in Mount Pleasant, just dumping snow. So if somebody wanted to sneak onto the Central Michigan sidelines and, and dress as a Central Michigan coach, you could probably get away with it now because you could be completely bundled up, completely covered up. Nobody would even know who you are. I mean, if that's the sort of thing you wanted to do. I don't know. What we need to do right now, though, is talk about coaches' call-in shows. Coaches' call-in show, kind of an old-school thing. Most coaches still do it. Nick Saban's is hilarious most of the time. And a lot of times it gets awkward when things are going badly. Well, things are going badly at Clemson this year. They're 4-4. and Tyler from Spartanburg called in to Dabo Sweeney's show, Tiger Calls. And oh my, it was epic. So of course, we had to do a minute by minute breakdown of Tyler's call and Dabo Sweeney's response. Here it is. If you just saw the transcript or a few quotes of what happened on Tiger Calls Monday night, you probably came away thinking, Dabo Sweeney yelled at a fan. What's the Clemson coach thinking? He said that fan was part of the problem. Has he lost it? Is he off the deep end? Well, I tell you what. You got to hear the whole thing. The entire interaction between Dabo Sweeney and Tyler from Spartanburg. Because this uh, this is quite a joust. Tyler came in hot. Dabo probably wasn't expecting this. But Tyler learned a valuable lesson about picking a fight with somebody who speaks into microphones pretty much every day for a living. And if you listen to the whole thing, my guess is you will not come out on Tyler's side. So let's break it down point by point. We will start with Tyler's opening salvo. I appreciate
7: everything you said, Coach, Coach Um It sounds a whole lot like Tommy Bowden. And I'll tell you one thing, Tommy Bowden didn't make the same amount of money as you do you make 11.5 million dollars a year um that's second in college football if if i'm not mistaken um i'm curious uh why that salary has led to a four and four and i know we're going to talk about you know just being a couple plays away from undefeated and all that um and i know you're a man of religion I'm, i'm a big fan
2: i know you're a man of religion Try to butter you up after I've now said you don't deserve the money you make. No matter how much a person makes, if you throw that in their face and then suggest that they are failing and not earning that, which it's probably fair to say that Dabo's performance this year does not merit that salary, but there's a better way to do that. Probably not just throw the salary in Dabo's face, but Tyler's not done.
7: Um, before you you categorize me as a, you know, being in the one point five percent, I was going to Clemson games. and My entire family going back generations. has been going to Clemson games before. You know, when you're in commercial real estate, so I don't. I'm, I'm not going to accept being in that one point five percent. And I I respect the fact that you're a man of faith. Um, I'm curious. Uh, if you've ever read Proverbs sixteen eighteen, which talks about pride coming for the fall, um, I used to. I was in the military and I, uh, I uh, was overseas for the big run, um, and so I, I couldn't couldn't watch all the games. I tried my best, and but I always watched the press conferences uh, just for life advice, and I appreciated all that. Something changed after twenty eighteen.
2: Tyler establishing his, his Clemson bona fides there. My family has been going to Clemson games for generations. I've been going since while, since you were in commercial real estate, Dabo. Remember when you got fired at Alabama and you had to go into commercial real estate instead of coaching? Tyler just dig, digging it deep. And of course, Dabo's read Proverbs 16, 18. Tyler, what, what did he just ask him if he's read John 3, 16? You're, you're playing the hits there. You might want to go for a deeper cut if we're, if we're going to quote scripture at Dabo. Also, thank you for your service, Tyler. Uh, as for something changed after 2018, Tyler is going to get into what he thinks has changed. But my guess is what changed is they haven't won a national title since then. Uh,
7: you're, you're humble, you're hungry and everything. And I've, I always told people, man, Dabo, just listen to his press conferences. But after that 2018 national t- title, Something changed, and there seems to be a lot of arrogance that came in. Um, There's a lot of friends and family. I mean, three of the ten on-field football coaches are external experienced hires. Everyone else was an internal hire that had no experience before or was a former player um, or friend. So I'm curious, why are we paying you $11.5 million go four and four. And it's not just this year. It's been, been, you
2: know, just a refusal to accept. Again, you got to throw the salary back in his face. And that undercuts Tyler's legitimate beefs, legitimate complaints that maybe Dabo has been too insular. I don't know about arrogance after the second national title, but stubbornness certainly would be a fair word to use. Dabo had something that was working very well. He was convinced that it worked very well and it would continue to work. It is not working as well. He does not seem willing to adapt. So stubbornness feels like a fair criticism here. But again, you don't have to throw the salary in the face. You've already established you don't think you should be making that much money. But Clemson decided to give him that much money. So there's not much you can do about that right now. Again, You're undercutting your own argument where you had some legitimate complaint. This may have been what Tyler should have done in terms of a question. And I would have really enjoyed Dabo's answer to that. And I think you might have gotten a more respectful answer from Dabo. And here's where just a a note to people who call into coaches shows or who call into radio shows or who lob criticism at, at people they don't know on the internet. You are only owed the amount of respect that you brought to the conversation. Dabo is about to enter this conversation and he's going to come with the same amount of respect that Tyler brought. And that's not going to go well for Tyler.
3: All right. All right. What's the Hey, Tyler, I, I'm listening to it for you, Tyler. Listen, you can, you can have all your opinions that you want. All right. I don't know how old you are. don't really care. All right. But let me tell you something. Um, we won 11 games last year, and you're part of the problem. To be honest with you, because that is part of the problem. It's people like you that do that. All you do is ex- the appreciation. The expectation is greater than the appreciation, and that's the problem. And so, you know, we've won 12, 10 plus win year, seasons in a row. That's happened three times in 150 years. So, if you want to know why, Custom ain't sniff a national championship for 35 years. We've won two in seven years. And there's only two other teams that can say that Georgia and Alabama. Okay? Is this a bad year? Is this a. Yeah. And it's my responsibility to take 100% responsibility for it. And all this bullcrap you're taking, all these narratives you read listen, man, you can have your opinion all you want. And you can apply for the job. And good luck to you. All right? But to answer your question, all right, we're second in draft picks. We've graduated 98% of our guys. We're second in wins. All right? We we if you, if you want to know why, again, I'm telling you, we're not perfect. There's a lot of teams that you know Frank Howard never had a bad year, Coach Ford never had a bad year. Nobody Coach K he never had a bad year in basketball. People have a bad year.
2: Nick Saban doesn't ever have a bad year, and I think that probably is what is clouding everybody's judgment on this thing. Dabo given the success he's had, probably earned the right to have a bad year. That The legitimate question is, will this bad year turn into more bad years because he is unwilling to adapt to the changes in college football? That is a a question for another day because we don't know how he's going to handle this season and the end of this season and, and what happens after this season. So I think that criticism can be lobbed at him if he continues to have bad years. But he's right. You can have a bad year. Everybody has a bad week, bad day, bad month, bad year. No matter how good you are, unless apparently you're Nick Saban.
3: But the part of the problem is the appreciation. I used to tell people all the time, they'd say, What's the difference in Clemson? Let me tell you, at, Cle- at some places there's an expectation, but at Clemson there's an appreciation. But what's happened at Clemson is. is We've won so much that even when we used to be the funds in the winning, now even when you win, people like you complain and criticize the coaches and question everything. You, you people like you, right? When I hired Tony Elliott to be the offensive coordinator who never called a play in his life, I'm sure you were critical then. Right? And he took us to two national championships. People like you who just love to to destroy people with your comments, all right? I'm sure you've never made any bad decisions. I'm sure you've lived a perfect life. I'm sure you've never, I'm sure you've led a bunch of people. I'm sure you do your job. So to answer your question, I started as the lowest paid coach in this freaking business, all right? And I'm where I am because I've worked my ass off every single day. And I ain't
2: going to let some smart-ass kid get on this phone and create this stuff. I do like, Dabo, a callback for, for those in my generation. For those of you under 25, maybe under 30, who, who've had cell phones for everybody in the house your whole life, maybe don't remember when you only had one house line. And the Dabo talking about the smart-ass kid getting on this phone just reminds me of every parent – When I was a kid, stop playing on my phone because, you know, somebody would pick up. They'd be listening to their their siblings' conversations. They'd be listening to their parents' conversations. Stop playing on my phone. You couldn't prank call somebody because that would tie up the phone line in case somebody important was calling. Couldn't just call the other person's cell phone back then. So Dabo, you know, making us olds feel better with that. One thing where he talks about the joy is in the winning and then now even when they win, they get criticized. This really smacks of late Florida era Steve Spurrier. Remember when Steve Spurrier left Florida to go to the NFL? He said the wins had gone from being fun to just being a relief and the losing was just miserable. That's what that feels like. And I it does make me wonder about how long Dabo is for this job, because that's not a very pleasant place to be. And I don't know that he's going to go anywhere. You know, maybe he pulls a Bob Stoops and retires in his mid-50s. I don't know. But that's a very bad place to be if you feel like there is no more joy in winning. So the question is, is that just external, where, where people are complaining when they win, or does it feel that way internally?
3: So if you got a problem with it, I don't care, all right? I work for for the Board of Trustees, the President, and the AD. And if they're tired of me leading this program, all they got to do is let me know. I'll go somewhere else where there is an appreciation, all right? It's not just winning. It's how you win. And we are in a – this is a tough year. But we've had 12, 12, 10-plus win seasons in a row, 12. We lost to Tennessee last year. They won 11 games for the first time in like 20 years. We've had 8-11 one a in, in whatever, 11 years or whatever. We've won two national championships. Clemson went 35 years, all right? probably since before you were born, your whole freaking life. And we've won two in seven years. And we earned it. And we beat the best of the best to do it. The best of the best. 12, 10 plus listings, so if you want to know why, that's why. Am I perfect? Nope. I'm far from it. I am a, and I am a man of faith. Absolutely.
2: All right. If the Clemson Board of Trustees is tired of Dabo leading the program, they also would have to pay him $64 million to leave. So one, that's not going to happen. And two, Dabo's probably like, bring it on. I'll take it. But obviously they're not paying that. Not going to happen. No matter how bad Tyler feels about this whole thing. And... Dabo with the I am a man of faith calling back to Tyler's question. But here it comes.
3: I'm 53 years old and there ain't one thing in my life. I, now I, have, I have been a part of failure many times, but there ain't one thing in my life that I've ever failed at, Tyler.
2: <sighs> and here you see that Dabo has raised three children who are now I believe all out of high school. This is this is a pure dad moment right here. My dad could do this. I guarantee you one of your parents could do this too, where they could just say your name in a slightly different way. And it was absolutely withering. My kids are young, you know, getting into teenage years. I have not developed this skill as a dad yet. I cannot wait until I can do this. But Dabo with just two syllables, Tyler. Just destroys him. Just destroys him. If, if Tyler hasn't hung up by this point, I don't know how strong he is. I, I'm impressed because that was absolutely a bomb being dropped on him in two syllables. Tyler! And Dabo brings it home.
3: Never. I ever... I wanted to get an education. I got two degrees. I wanted to be the first college in my graduate with my family. I did it. I wanted to go play football in Alabama. I earned a scholarship, lettered three years, worked my ass off, won a national championship. I wanted to get into coaching. I worked my way to being a head coach. And when I got this job, and I'm sure you didn't want me to get this job, all right, and 15 years later, I'm still here, and I'd say the results are what they are, and I stand on them. So you don't ever have to call back. I've, I I wanted to get married. I've been married for going on 30 years. I wanted to be a father. I've raised three great sons. If you don't like how I run the program, don't be a fan. I don't care. But I'm the head coach, and I'm going to do what I believe is right for the long term of this program, what's best for the players, and what I think is best for the moment. If you got a problem with that, that's fine. But you know, I'm not gonna see you, sit here and let you call. I don't give a crap how much money I make. You ain't gonna talk to me like I'm like I'm 12 years old. You' be freaking kidding me.
7: Amen. <laughs> Amen.
2: Wow. So now you've heard the whole thing. My guess is you're probably a little more on team Dabo than I thought you than you thought you would be when you initially read those comments and that's that's how it is when, when you get full context of something and it's interesting because I think Clemson fans wanted to hear this version of Dabo they're tired of hearing him say oh we're this close we could be 8 No, it's okay to admit there's some strife it's okay to admit things don't always go right it's okay to show some fire and that's what he did just needed Tyler from Spartanburg to unlock it. That's it for today's show. Tomorrow is a dear Andy show. We also have K-State quarterback Will Howard joining the show. But I want to get your questions. You know where to find me, Andy underscore staples on Twitter and on Instagram. You can email your questions to Andy Staples on3 at gmail.com. Send away. And we will answer them on the Dear Andy show tomorrow night with a bonus guest, Kansas state QB, Will Howard, as he gets ready to play Texas. We will talk to you tomorrow night.
0: Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament, whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, time to go dancing on America's number one sports book right now new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel that's 200 bucks to use on point spreads money lines you can even pick who's going to win it all just visit
1: FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP, or text NEXTSTEP to two five three three four two. 42 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777, or visit ccpg.org chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700, or visit ksgamblinghelp.com